Greetings, my name's Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry uh, for St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the 4th of July and our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 48. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, so your praises reach to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let's take a moment to reflect on that victory in the words of our next song.
Father, through the obedience of your Son, your servant, uh, our King Jesus, you have raised a fallen world. Uh, free us from sin. Bring us the joy that lasts forever. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's Word, our Bible reading set down for today. Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Psalm 46. God is our strength and refuge. You'll know that one. Psalm 46. And our preaching passage comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can open up our Bibles today, uh, share your word together, uh, speak to our hearts and our minds, our very souls by your spirit. Show us what this text means and so apply it to our lives, that we might grow in Christ, uh, that we might so glorify you. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You don't have to be old to know that life can be a downright pain. Is that correct? Can life be a pain? Uh, what does Christianity offer us in pain and weakness? Especially in light of chapter 8, uh, where many people think it's all about the victorious Christian life, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So why do I experience pain? Life can be a pain. How do I make sense of that? If there's no condemnation... Why is there still so much groaning? We're not talking about the kind of groaning that you might hear at Wimbledon this week. Uh, no, look at verse 22. Creation is groaning. Or verse 23, it says that Christians are groaning. Or even in verse 26, it seems to suggest that as we pray, the Spirit groans, whatever that means. If, in, if chapter 8 is right, if it is all about the victorious Christian life, why is there so much groaning? Why is life such a pain? Uh, and we don't really need the Bible to understand the reality of pain, do we? I mean, last time you tweaked your back or your dodgy knee or neck, we don't really need the Bible to tell us about the reality of pain. We all feel it acutely. So how do we hold the truth that there's no condemnation how do we hold that truth in balance with our experience in the world? And verse 18 outlines the principle. And it's all to do with groans and glory. Groans and glory. That's our theme for today, if you like. Verse 18. 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. How's that for a line? When, our, when are our sufferings? Our sufferings are present, Paul is saying. He's talking about his present sufferings. When is the glory? Well, that's to come later in the future. It will be revealed in us. So it's groans now, glory later. You've heard the saying, uh, no guts, no glory. Well, the Christian experience is no groans, no glory. Uh, these are the groans and glory of verse 17. Remember last week, verse 17, we're co-heirs with Christ Jesus, which means that we share in his sufferings. Groans. That's the way of the cross. We share in the way of the cross. In order that, we, almost, we may also share in his glory. That's verse 17. Um, now, groans and glory, they're, they're two concepts that are, seem to be poles apart. Uh, yet Paul is going to contrast the two. He's going to hold them together. Uh, what are sufferings? Well, for Paul, uh, it's not a dodgy knee. It's not a hernia operation. Uh, it's not the suffering that comes through a, a partner that snores while you're trying to sleep or missing out on the milk at breakfast time uh, or suffering on account of work or school or any of that kind of hardship. None of that makes Paul's list. Uh, for Paul, this is a world full of realities found in verse 35. In verse 35, he'll talk about persecution and starvation, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Uh, and, and beyond that, he could have included prison, flogging, stoning, shipwreck, betrayal, danger. All of that he could have. And of course... This suffering is not without a cause. The cause of his suffering is in service of the gospel. Uh, that is the source of his suffering. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel, the advance of God's kingdom, and preaching that. This isn't just suffering for suffering's sake. So we need to get that clear as we read on. Verse 18, Paul has considered his present suffering in the name of the gospel, with the glory that's to come. And he's saying that there's no comparison. Okay, I'm groaning. There's groaning here. But there's glory to come and there is no comparing the two. Look at verse 18 again. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So groans now, yes. But glory is coming. And that's infinitely greater and better. That's the message. It's not that the groans water down the glory. No, groans don't make glory less. No, it's that the glory permeates and saturates the groans. Now, how does that work? Well, we're going to get three illustrations, so bear with me. First one comes with creation. Uh, creation's excitement, if you like, Creation groans now, but glory is coming, even for creation. So look at verse 20. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Uh, we know what frustration means. Being frustrated is when you cannot do what you want to do, 
or you cannot do what you were meant to do or even made to do, that's frustrating. And creation knows this kind of frustration. It's right there in verse 20. And it knows decay, verse 21. Creation is bondage to decay. There's something wrong with the world. Any farmer will tell you that. The world doesn't work the way the world is supposed to work. We all know that, surely. But this decay and frustration is not a design fault. Uh, This is Paul's reflection on Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. God's judgment on the world because of human rebellion. Which means, you know, no condemnation in Christ does mean good things like forgiveness and peace with God. But it doesn't remove us from the world. Our world is subject to the curse still. And we are not removed from that. We are not remote from that. We're not immune to this side of glory. And so with creation, we still groan as creation groans. Question, should Christians still care about creation and the environment? And the answer is, of course. Of course. But we need to check our language. And we need to understand the cause. problem with creation isn't only human mismanagement of our environment, although I think that is true. big problem with creation and its brokenness and our busted environment, the biggest problem is the underlying issue of sin. It's the fall. It's Genesis 3. We need to be theologically minded on this. It's about humanity's rebellion against God. And how do we address that? Do we pick up our placards and march down the street and protest and tell the government they're not doing a good enough job? Or do we think theologically and go, actually, if the brokenness of the world is about our relationship with God, what I actually need to do is preach the gospel. The gospel of God's kingdom to come. If at the heart of creation's groaning is this fractured relationship between God and man, surely the remedy that God gives us is the gospel. Spread the gospel. Brings us, brings on the day when creation at last will taste freedom and creation at last will find full harmony restored. Her future glory then is linked to our glory as I speak of creation. So creation is groaning. No doubt about that. Tectonic plates, you can imagine that. And we cannot put that right. Dreaming. But even creation has a future and a hope. We are right to long for better things for our creation. And better things are coming. There is glory coming for creation. And it will be a place that will know freedom, not bondage and frustration and decay. There will be no more tsunamis. No more of that stuff. We're not talking clouds and harps here. Remember, it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Creation groans. Yes, it's what it does. It's what we do. It's supposed to. But verse 19, it waits. It waits for what is to come. It's waiting for the day when glory will be shown. Tell me, is waiting painful? Do you like to wait? Uh, I remember 
uh, when I was a young fella, I worked in the city and uh, train ride into town every morning. Seven o'clock train from where I lived and it was cold and uh, I'm not that great at waiting to be honest. I would stick my head over the edge of the platform waiting for the train. Is the train coming? You could see it coming a long way off. And when you saw it coming, well, you walked down the other end of the platform and you got a seat. It's that kind of waiting, that kind of expectation, waiting. Of course, ah, oh, the sweet relief when it arrives and the doors open and all that eager expectation gives way to joy and a seat. Uh, verse 22, the whole creation is waiting. It's been waiting uh, in the pains of childbirth. It's not waiting for a train to come, it's waiting for a baby, right? And it's that kind of experience. Is it painful waiting? Yeah, ask any pregnant lady. Is it exciting as well? Yeah, of course it is. The prospect of what is to come. And so there is a picture. Groans now. Glory is coming. And glory, see the glory touch the groaning. Here's a second illustration. It's a Christian's groaning. Verse 23. Not only so... But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There's that waiting again. Uh, the first fruits language, uh, that's we're getting agricultural there. It points to the first instalment um, as a pledge of the full harvest to come. The first load in, it's like a deposit or a down payment. Paul is not saying here that we've got a little bit of spirit and that there's more of the spirit to come. He's not saying that. He is saying the spirit is God's first fruits for the creation for the Christian. He is saying the Spirit is like a, a deposit, a pledge of all that is still to come for us. Uh, the Spirit is a huge privilege, yes, but here's the deal. The Spirit is not all there is. It's not the final gift. That comes in the new heaven and the new earth when we are face to face with the living God. And so don't confuse the first fruits of the Spirit with the final gift that is to come. Having the Spirit does not mean an end to the groaning. The Spirit-filled Christian groans inwardly because we are not a finished work yet. There is still more to come. There is more to come than we are tasting at the moment. This is Paul's point. There is more of salvation to taste. Now you might respond and go, but Adam, no condemnation. But Adam, victorious Christian life. Adam, we're co-heirs. And yeah, yeah, sure. But look, notice there's an aspect of adoption that we're to look forward to. Look at the end of verse 23. It speaks of our redemption of our bodies. So there is more to come. You and I don't yet have bodies that match our status as co-heirs. We're going to be co-heirs with Christ. Our bodies at the moment are mortal. They don't actually match that status yet. I mean, do a quick spot check right now if you like. 
the padding on your gluteus maximus is being tested right now. I can guarantee it. I mean, seriously, do you think at the present time you have a body fit for an eternal ruler of heaven and earth? Now, you might be super confident. You go, well, I think I come close. It won't last. There will be a drooping and a sagging, and you can be sure of that. Nothing can save you. It is inevitable. Whatever we look like, however we feel at the moment, you need to know there is better. In fact, the best is still yet to come. You might be a teenager feeling invincible and immortal. It's not going to last. Trust me. Which is why the gospel is such good news. Because the better, the best is still yet to come. Verse 23, inwardly, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. We await our redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. That's verse 23. See, it's the hope that there is more. That there is more to come. That is our hope. And so Christians look forward. God pulls us to the future. Now, yep, there is groaning. We have a body full of weakness and we are weak morally, that's true, and mentally we are weak, and physically we are weak. There's groaning. But then it's glory, a new body is waiting for me. Unreal banana peel, that's fantastic. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See? I won't be a cripple when I see Jesus. My mind won't be broken when I see Jesus. My damaged heart won't be a thing when I meet Jesus. I won't be a slave to alcohol or gambling or any other addiction when I see Jesus. My anxiety or my dementia or my depression, it won't exist when I see Jesus. My body won't be riddled with cancer when I see Jesus. My eyesight or my hearing or any other problem that I might have, they won't be a thing. There's no problem seeing or hearing Jesus on that day. And that is good news. That is good news. So we groan, but our groaning shapes the glory that is to come. Here's the last illustration. It's relates to praying verse 26 in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness see we're weak we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for god's people in accordance with the will of god so you can't ever get it wrong wow <laughs> Uh, Romans 8 is telling us, Christians, you, we can't even pray properly. Um, our creation groans, our bodies groan, and even when we pray, we're groaning. We're not quite getting it right. There's something imperfect about it that needs to be redeemed. Our creation needs to be redeemed. Our bodies need to be redeemed. Even our prayers need to be redeemed. And that's a relief, can I say. I mean, it means I can be a Christian and I can find it hard to know how to pray. 
And so, equally, it's a bit of a, a rebuke then, isn't it, for those who think they've got it all worked out in the area of prayer. The scriptures are honest when it comes to prayer we're out of our depth. It's why Bible study, uh, the same few, why is it, it's always the same few that always pray first in the group. The same few, same other few might not pray. Well, it might take a week off. Well, they're sporadic, but there's the other group pray every week and they're the first and others are a bit more shy about it. Well, why is it the friend that's seriously ill? Why do we find ourselves, there comes a moment where we have an opportunity to pray. It might be on the phone, it might be at the bedside and you know you could pray. You know it. And you might even get a conviction about it, but you don't. Why don't you? Why don't you pray? Because you don't know what to pray for. Is that the answer? Are you embarrassed? I don't know. But maybe you don't know what to pray. Do I pray for healing at this point? Do I pray for glory at this point? I don't know what to pray. Maybe that's your experience. Here's a tip. Here's a tip. You could pray this. Father God, I've come to you on my knees with no words. I don't know what to pray. Do that. See how you go. That's my tip for the day. It's okay to struggle with prayer. In fact, it's entirely normative in the Christian experience. As we experience our world and its brokenness, as we try and make sense of life in the curse, yet I'm, I'm in Christ and I'm no condemnation, but life in the world is... Uh, of course, prayer is going to be a struggle. Of course, it's going to be a struggle. It might be because I'm shy. It might be because I lack confidence. It might be because you're just proud. When it comes to prayer, we are out of our depth. And you might be comforted by that. But here is some comfort. See, this leaves us without no excuse now. If you think I just gave you one, well, you don't get one. Because verse 26 says, The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Uh, what, what does this mean? It's not, is this a spirit prompting me to pray? Well, it's, I don't think it's a spirit praying instead of me. I don't think that's true. I don't think this is about speaking in tongues either. Uh, it's without words, isn't it? So there's a picture of the spirit drawing alongside, echoing our groans. Literally, the spirit groans without words. If this is anything, it is breathtaking empathy. It's like the spirit of glory himself identifies with our anguish and puts his arms around us and embraces us as an adopted child of God and groans with us and more he helps and reminds us he's there. He reminds us he's present. So that's enormously comforting. But also verse 27 progresses as we see the Holy Spirit do more than just that. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit this is God searching our hearts, I take it, and, this, and the Heavenly Father and the Spirit at work. Here is the Spirit interceding now uh, for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's like he interprets and expresses the longing of our hearts and makes them right and puts them in accordance with the will of God. You know, it's like um, I had a pastoral visit actually the other week and this happened 
Uh, someone was communicating with me and trying to express an idea. And a voice from the back of the room, it was their adult child, said, what he means is dot, dot, dot. And uh, they spelled it out. Oh, okay, yeah, now I get it. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us, I think. We struggle to pray. We don't even know what to pray for. And it's as if the Holy Spirit says to God the Father, what he's trying to say is dot, dot, dot. Or what she's trying to pray is. And if we ever caught the actual words, we'd say, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That, go with that. And so this is a breath of fresh air. This is an encouragement for us to pray, to relax and pray. It reminds me of a story. Uh, a mother whose name is Monica has a teenager. Teenager goes through a rebellious phase. And, she, and Monica prayed that her son would not leave home. Uh, uh, that he wouldn't leave home and that he would not head for the bright lights of the big city, but he did. And much to her horror and distre distress, <laughs> he did that. And guess what happens while he's in the big city with the big lights? Well, he becomes a Christian. And what was his name? What was Monica's son's name? Augustine. And Augustine becomes one of the most significant Christian thinkers and writers of all time. The prayers of his mum, coupled with the groanings of the Spirit, are at the same time answered. You see that. You see it's all about the glory of God. Even the glory of God touches our prayerful groaning. Groaning now glory later if we're just people that groan if that's all we do then we're just a rabble that tell each other to grin and bear it and drink some concrete and harden up if we're just all just a bunch of glory people then we're out of touch with reality and we're out of touch with the here and now the christian is the one who knows what it is for glory to permeate and to penetrate and to touch our groaning in the here and now we do both. Verse 18. I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Are you living that out? I know frustrations, yeah, but I know that glory is coming. Are you living that out? I know I see decay and I feel decay. It's all around me in my life, in my world, in my parish in others, it's even in me. But do I keep telling myself glory is coming? Life is full of groans, but glory is coming on account of Jesus. And if that is you, that is life in the Spirit. That is the way of the cross. Groans now, glory to come. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Again, uh, as you participate in this online ministry, can I encourage you now to set aside some time to pray? Please pray through the passage and uh, what we've unpacked together. Please commit to God uh, that which we've heard and to be committing to God in prayer. Uh, even though we don't know what we're to pray, give it a go. You could start with that. Pray with others that you're with. Uh, pray for our church family, pray for the gospel uh, throughout the world, throughout our diocese, uh, our link partnerships uh, with missionaries, particularly CMS we're remembering at St Augustine's this month.
COVID is a thing. Uh, there's lots for us to be committing to God in prayer. So please take a moment to do that now.